So we're continuing our series, Unexpected, The Journey of Faith, and we're coming to this unbelievable, unbelievable story. It's this unthinkable, unimaginable test where God calls Abraham to trust him and sacrifice the son of the promise, Isaac, as an act of worship to him. It's just like, oh my word, what in the world is going on? Before we get into the story, it's just good to remember what we've been learning about this journey of walking with God through the life of Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham's not looking for God, right? He's doing life in this city called Ur. And in this city, all these people have all these different idols, and he's just part of the culture. And he's chasing all these different idols, worshiping them. And God calls him into a relationship, right? And as he's walking with God, what we realize about the journey of faith is it is always filled with tests. So if you sign up with following God and following Jesus Christ, then what we know is you're going to be tested. That's normal. And the testing that comes to us is not like, all right, I just want to know you know, if you're cutting the mustard here, like pass, fail. No, actually the tests are, it's really God's expression to grow our faith. Not just to show where our faith needs to grow. And so on the journey of faith, we should expect tests. But here's what Genesis 22 is going to tell us. And with the test, we should expect God's gracious provision. This kind of repeated theme that we're going to come upon like two or three times is this phrase, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. God's will and the demands of his will sometimes are just like unthinkably difficult. And yet what we need to come alongside of that test is God's gracious provision that allows us to walk in faith. So God's like a parent to us, right? We call him our father. He's committed to our growth, just like any parent, to their child's growth, physically, socially, spiritually, right? In all phases of their life. And so he uses tests to grow us, not just to show us where we need to grow, to grow us. Jesus' brother, James, wrote a letter to a bunch of people who followed Christ. And he spoke about, because that's what God does with tests, we should consider them pure joy. So here's what he says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here's the syllogism, right? You have a test. You have a resistant force. It's a hard situation. We're probably in varying degrees of tests right now. We have this test, and it produces endurance as we stay in this test and trust God for all that this test is requiring. This perseverance produces something. It's 
three things. It produces maturity, right? It produces completeness or wholeness so that we are thirdly not lacking anything. The tests bring about the endurance which develops within us more and more of Christ's likeness. So we're in tests, and that's part of walking with God. It's how he grows us. It's how he shows us that he's enough for all that we need because he'll provide, he'll provide. So grab your Bible. Genesis 22 is where we're at. So this is the first book of the Bible, the 22nd chapter. We come to this great story of God testing Abraham. So as you're turning there, let's just rehearse some of the tests. The first test was, Abraham, are you going to trust me and leave your comfort zone, your people, your country, your jobs there, your relationships there, and follow me to this land? He told Abraham, I'm going to show you when you get there that that's the land. And he passes the test. When he gets to the land, there's a famine. And all of a sudden, the land isn't going to sustain him. And so he's got to trust God as he goes down to to Egypt to, to take care of him and to be good on his word when God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you in a great nation and uh, all the families of the world are going to be blessed through you and I'm going to give you this land. He had to trust him and he kind of flunked that test, didn't he? When he pawned off his wife as his sister because he was afraid if Pharaoh knew that he was his, her husband that off with his neck. So he had to trust him when he went back into the promised land and he and his nephew Lot and all their possessions were getting too big for the land that where they had settled to support them. And so he had to leave, right? They had to separate, he had to trust him. He had to trust him when God said, it's okay to send Hagar and Ishmael. Remember Sarah's servant Hagar and Hagar and Abraham's son Ishmael off to go resettle somewhere else he had to trust him in all these different things and what he knew is that God was uh, amazingly trustworthy because he now has chapter 21 this son of the promise he's a hundred when he's born and Sarah his wife was 90 and so it's right after that story of Isaac being born the son of the promise a long time after the promise that God then gives him this test. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And that is so horrific to hear. And if we're reading the Bible for the first time, it is utterly shocking like I don't know if I want to follow this God what is going on here it's a test Moses the writer of Genesis makes it very clear right from the get-go this is a test and as we read the story this is not God's intention for Abraham to kill his son even though in the storyline of the Bible we're going to find out that's exactly God's intention when he sends his one and only son to a place Jerusalem that actually is described as the Mount Moriah, 2 Chronicles 3.1. Solomon's building a temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. But it's shocking to hear this, and it should be shocking 
to hear this. Now, in their worldview, when he was doing life in Ur of the Chaldees, it probably wasn't uncommon for people to sacrifice humans. We'll find that in other times of biblical history. So, totally wild for us. And though it wasn't crazy wild, like he's never heard of it before, it was unbelievably shocking. Because this is the son of the promise that he's waited for for 25 plus years. And now God is asking him to trust him and go offer Isaac up on this Mount Moriah, right? So what does it say? Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now look at chapter 22. The first 12 verses are all about the testing of faith. And then from verse 13 on through verse 19, it's all about the provision, the provision of God. The testing of our faith, the provision of our God. So that's what we expect, that when we're going through a test, that the Lord is going to provide. Out of his grace and his mercy, he's going to provide. So we begin with the testing. And it's really important that we know this was a test. This is not exactly what God ultimately wanted done. He just wants to grow his faith. And he wants Abraham to be confronted with how God has been growing his faith because he's doing amazing in this story. So Moriah shows up twice in the biblical account. Chapter 22, 2 Chronicles, it tells us it's actually Jerusalem. Now, if there is a lot of other Moriahs in the Bible, and there are places where there's several different places and nobody's really sure where it is, or there's actually different places that have the same name, It'd be easy to go, well, we can't be sure. Well, I'm not sure. But I've got like a high level of confidence that the place where God is sending him to is the very place where Jesus will carry the cross up on this hill outside of Jerusalem where the temple was on Mount Moriah. I think it's the same place. And this story has all this foreshadowing of another only son who is loved by his father who carries wood up the mountain. Anyways, we'll get to that. Uh, so there's this obedience, right? He calls him and we notice verse 3 early in the morning. He's up and at him and he's going after all the things that he needs. His donkey, he's chopping wood, he's getting his servants, the supplies together. Isaac is notified we're going on a journey three days to the mountains to worship God, right? He didn't wait till late in the day, right up. So there's this immediate response. There's this continued obedience through to the end, ongoing obedience. There's no conversation recorded in the text. And can you imagine what's going through Abraham's mind? We don't know if Isaac knows about it. We're not even sure how old Isaac is. All we're going to know from verse 6 and following is he's, he's old enough to carry the wood that would be required for his burnt offering 
It's a lot of wood. He's got to be somewhat strong to be able to do that. So it's early in the morning. And what we see early on here in verse 4 is not just Abraham saying, hey, we're going to return, guys, so just stay here. And Isaac and I are going to go worship the Lord, and then we're going to come back. And it's not like he's just going, look, I don't want Isaac to know what's going on here. So we're just going to go under this narrative. We're coming back. Because I don't want him to hear what is about to take place. No, I think we have evidence in the text, especially from Hebrews 11, I'll get there in just a bit, to help us understand. No, he's actually saying this not to protect his son from the bad news that nobody wants to hear because he really believed that he was going to go up the mountain, that he was going to sacrifice his son, and that somehow the two of them were coming back. But hang with me because you're not convinced. You shouldn't be from verse 4. But that's a huge statement of faith that we get right out of the box. All right, we keep reading because they go on together. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, second huge statement of faith. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Well, ever since Abraham got to the, the promised land in chapter 12, he's been building altars, right? This is this place where he's worshiping God, calling on the name of the Lord, offering a sacrifice to his God. This is like no other altar he's built because he, know, he knows ultimately God didn't ask him to bring a ram. He didn't ask him to bring a lamb. He asked for his only son. So he's building an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Hey, don't you, don't you want, like, was there a conversation? Was there something going on? Dad, what are you doing? God, what are you at? I mean, we want more. It's just like it's just slowly unfolding. It reminds us of the verses in Isaiah 53. The suffering Messiah, speaking of Christ, would be silent, Right? Silent, He wouldn't utter a word. And then it says, verse 10, he does the unthinkable. Abraham, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. The journey of faith will bring tests. And with every test, we've got to remember the Lord will provide. So we're going to look at his provision in just a minute, but let's just note a couple of things here. The, the first is this, Abraham's faith, verse 8. God himself will provide the lamb. Son, that's a great question. We got the wood. I got the fire. I got the knife. 
Yeah, we don't have the lamb. Son, the Lord's going to provide the lamb for the offering. And then when it says the angel of the Lord, we notice that the beginning of the story, it, it's not the angel of the Lord that meets Abraham. We've met the angel of the Lord before when the angel meets Hagar, right back in chapter 16. We know there's been angels with God in the earlier accounts when he visits Abraham, right, and tells him that he's going to have a son the next year and what he's going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. But the, the, the text starts that God tested Abraham, but here the text is very clear that it's the angel of the Lord that says Abraham, right? Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him. And what we know here is it's the angel of the Lord who attributes deity to himself. Angels don't do this. The angel of the Lord is divine. And so the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is, is an appearance of Christ right here in this story. So the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And, and he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. And he says, now I know, now I know that you fear, that you fear God because you've not withheld your son from me. The angel of the Lord is equating himself with deity. It's Christ right here. So Abraham's faith, Christ is here in the story, not just kind of in this way of foreshadowing and illusion and symbolically, but he's, he's there in the story. He's the voice from heaven saying, don't do it. He's the voice from heaven saying, now I know that you fear the Lord. Ah, so what is that word fear? Because it's an important concept. It's an Old Testament concept. The, the writers of the book of Proverbs and Psalms will say, the wisdom literature says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom isn't, a, isn't just an intellectual category for the Hebrews, for the, the people of the Old Testament. It's how we live our life. It's the skill for living rightly so that we're always loving God with our heart and loving our neighbors ourselves. It's it's the beginning of wisdom of how to live rightly before God and others. What is fear? So I say fear, and if it's a word association, my guess is a lot of us are going to say, word association of fear is afraid. Afraid. So now I know you're afraid of God. Is that what he's saying? Kind of. Fear is the right response before a holy God. We see God for who he is, and we respond with a reverent, affectionate, humble obedience. It's this sense of awe that humbles us before God so that we walk in obedience. We take God at his word, obeying his commands and believing his promises. Now I know that you fear God. And the question is, Abraham, how did you do that? How in the world did you do that? We might, we might want to say, and Isaac, we don't know how old you are, but how in the world did you let your dad do that? I mean, it'd be really easy to just say, how in the world? And one day we're going to have a chance to ask Abraham this. My gut is he's going to say something, well, it wasn't me. This was all about God. The, the only way I was able to do this is because God in his grace sought me out. I was just this guy who was worshiping idols. And he pursued 
me. And I had a relationship with God. When I heard his voice that day, I recognized it. I'd heard his voice before. When he asked me to do the unthinkable, I knew that God had been keeping his word of promise, that he was going to give me an heir. And through that heir, we would have descendants that would outnumber the stars of the heaven and the sands of the seashore. I know this God can do the impossible. Are you kidding me? I was 100 when Isaac was born, and Sarah was 90. God has been true to his word. I know his voice. And you know what? He was faithful and true to his word, even when I botched it and failed the tests. And so it's not about me. It's about God. This is where we go to Hebrews 11. And this is where we understand that his experience with God was so profound that his view of God was so mammoth. He had a huge view of God. And every day he spent with Isaac, he knew his God could do the impossible. Do you know that? And that your God is way bigger than your test. And he can do the impossible. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Check it out on the screen. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, meaning Isaac. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So what would Abraham tell us? It wasn't me, it was God. And all these years I spent with God, I knew that even if he asked me to do the unthinkable, he could do the unbelievable and raise my son back to life. Wow. What God demands in his perfect will, God supplies in the overflow of his grace. So there's the test of faith, verses 1 through 12. Now we come to the provision, the provision of God. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. That's what he called the place. And to this day it is said, here's the saying, it's like prophetic, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The mountain of the Lord is kind of like this idiomatic expression that references two specific mountains. The first one in the opening books in Numbers and Exodus, the mountain of the Lord speaks to Mount Sinai where Moses meets God and God gives him the Ten Commandments. The second place that's referred to the mountain of the Lord is in Psalm 24, verse 3, and has to do with Jerusalem. The Lord will provide. That's what I'm calling this place, Abraham says. And then Moses kind of editorially say, and to this day, ever since that day, there's been this saying in Israel with God's people, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. It'll be provided. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. So this is Christ blessing Abraham. 
And the angel said to him, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now I know that you feared me. How does he know that he's feared him? Because you've not withheld your son. You've taken me at your word. You've obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. God provides. There's a ram. There's a ram. I don't know how the ram got there, but I know God got the ram into the thicket, and he was stuck by the horns. And, and Abraham knew God provided, so he named the place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord provides. The Lord will provide. Jehovah-Jireh. And then he worshipped. And then he received blessing. And then he took, he took hold of God's provision. He didn't just say, yeah, thanks God. No, actually, that ram was a substitutionary sacrifice for his son. You and I both know what he did. With joy. And through tears, he cuts the cords and he sets his son free. And he takes that ram that's been caught in the thicket by its horn and he slits his throat and he builds the fire. And, and the ram goes up as his offering to God. And he took hold of God's provision that saved his son's life, the son of the promise. The Lord provided. The Lord provided. Obedience is the closest sign for you and I to know that we trust God. Now I know that you fear God. Now that I know that you trust me because you did, you did what I said. It's just so easy to get into these, these kind of cognitive categories in our mind. And somebody says, so do you trust God? Do you have faith in God? Yeah. Well, it's objective in the Bible. Faith without works, James, Jesus' brother, says, is dead. It's bogus. Faith works, and it works out in obedience. And that was a really important reminder for the people that Moses was writing this to. Remember, the Bible wasn't written to us, right? It was written for us. And so we're trying to figure out, what does this mean for us today? Because you know what? God's not going to call any of us to sacrifice a child. That's not, that's not the application. What does this mean today? Well, before we figure out what it means today, we better make sure we're clear about what it meant for the people that Moses was writing to. And who are those people? Well, they were the people walking out of Egypt, a place full of idols, just like Abraham walked out of Ur, a place full of idols. He walked out freely. These people were blown out of there. God's unbelievable rescue from Pharaoh, from their slavery, and he saved them from that for a relationship with himself. And God's reminding through Moses, hey, people, you're, you're on a journey with God. He's, he's taking you out of the land of slavery into this promised land, the same land he promised to Abraham. And you just need to know, as you're walking with me, there's going to be some unthinkable tests. But trust me, 
because I provide. Trust me, trust me, trust me. What about for us? How, how, do we, how do we bring this home for us today? Well, let's just start with the question. The, the, the essence, the question behind the test was, does Abraham trust me? Does he trust me? Abraham, has your faith grown to a point where you could trust me with the unthinkable offering Isaac as a sacrifice? And so that's our question. Do I trust God? Do I trust God? Do I obey him? So there's tests that help us objectify it. Like, do I trust God in the relationships I have? Well, man, there's a lot of different ways that we have to trust God in relationships. Maybe we're in a relationship and we're not married yet, and the Bible's really clear about, hey, sex is a beautiful gift from God, but he's placed it within the fence line of marriage. So am I trusting God by staying pure? This is the test. Will, will, will I love God more than sex? Will I, will I forgive somebody in a relationship that has deeply wounded me, hurt me, and changed the, the, the terrain of my life? Because this stuff has consequences. Can I, can I trust God to forgive that person? You, 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 maybe the test is, I'm thinking of marrying this person. And God's really clear. He says, I want you to be one. Not just physically one in marriage. Not just physically and emotionally one. I want you to be spiritually one. And so God's design is that the people that come together, the husband and the wife, they're both lovers of God, that you were on the same path here. That could be your test. All kinds of relational tests. And there's the tests that have to do with our body, honoring God with our body. Maybe food's a test. Maybe alcohol's a test. Maybe what we put in our body. Maybe what we allow to see. The, the, the things that we could easily get hooked on to just kind of, in, in, in the hardness of life, to just kind of ease the pain. Those are tests. Do we trust God? Maybe, maybe it's a health thing right now. And God's saying, do, do you trust me for all that you need right now? Do you trust me for just all that you're thinking about as you're coming to the end of your life and, and it's, it's shaky ground and you're just scared? Do you, do you trust me? These are tests. There's all kinds of tests. The tests of trusting God with our finances, the, 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 the big decisions, trusting God with, oh man, parents, right? Our kids, trusting God, our marriage. Do we trust God? And do we believe that this test is a good thing? So the test right now, if you're in one right now, I, I can just say this. If you're not a Christ follower, God's good purpose in this hard thing is to bring you to the end of yourself where you go, I, I need you, Jesus. I need you to bring us to Christ and to grow us to be more like Christ. What's your test right now? Are you, are you clear about it? What's going to be the move that's not taking God at his word? What's the pattern? Is this test driving me away from God or closer to God? Do I want to run from God right now? Or do I want to just trust that he'll provide? That what Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect through your weakness. That's what 
Jesus says to us. And I think the last question is, have we taken hold? Have we taken hold of the provision? Are we taking hold of it every day? So Abraham had to go to the thicket, and he pulled out the ram, physically. Well, taking hold of Christ isn't like what Mary did on Easter morning when she took hold of Christ and couldn't believe that he raised. We can't do that yet. We will one day. But taking hold of God's provision, Christ, is what we do by faith. That's how we come into this relationship, and it's how the relationship continues day by day. Have you taken hold of Christ? The one and only Son of God who left his home in heaven and came down at Christmas with one mission in mind, to get to Moriah, to get to Moriah. And he walked up that hill like Isaac with a load of wood on his back. It was the cross. And he was bound by wicked men, but he was bound first by the will of the Father and the Son and the Spirit who all said, this is how we will save the world and bring blessing to all the families. And when he was tempted to not take God at his word and to bolt, when he was asked to do the unthinkable, to give his life, and he's pleading in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, if there's a plan B, take this cup away. I can't bear the thought of being separated from you. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And he went up on that hill. And the one who created all things, and in a nanosecond, could have made all things right. He submitted himself to the Father's will and plan, and he was nailed to the cross for you and me. The Lord will provide on that mountain. The Lord has provided on that mountain. And we walk in that. And we, we've got to get our eyes on a big God because we're going through tests, and what looks so big in our eyes is the marriage breaking apart. The diagnosis, the financial craziness is just breaking apart. All these things, those are the things that look big. When Abraham looked to the mountain, he had a huge view of God that didn't come in a day. It came by walking with God every day. And man, when we get to a message like this and we go, and I've had all these tests and I keep bombing them. The provision of Christ is not just God's gracious supply where we get what we don't deserve. It's his merciful provision where we don't get what we deserve. And so here's the wild thought. There is nothing you've ever done in your life. There is nothing you could do this week where God would say, deal's off. I don't want to be your God anymore. I'm done with you. Nothing. And here's the wilder thought. You ready? There is nothing you could do this week where God would go, that is amazing. You know what? I love you more this week than I did last. His love is perfect and infinite, and his supply is abundant so that whatever it is you're facing, he's enough. Believe that. Let's pray. So we just celebrate that, Lord Jesus that you are enough, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. That was your plan. That's how the families of all the world would be blessed through this 
far distant descendant of Abraham. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus, for going up that hill. And we receive your provision now and always. Thank you for the hard things. Forgive us for not trusting you. Thank you for being committed to our growth. We want to be mature. We want to be complete and whole. We want to get to a place in our life where we don't lack anything. And we know one day that will be our reality. And so, Lord, even as you said you came, give us life. Give us life to the full now and forever. And may we be a people that are giving others hope as we live and point them to the Son of God our salvation. Amen.